Welcome to Corizant Technologies, home of the Digital Executive Podcast. Welcome to the Digital Executive. Today's guest is Dr. Laura McCrary. Dr. Laura McCrary is the president and CEO of the Kansas Health Information Network and is doing business as Kansa. Kansa is a Kansas not-for-profit organization that provides health information exchange services, a clinical expertise data warehouse, aggregated data services, data conversion, clinical alerting, quality reporting, and analytics for health plans, medical societies, health information exchanges, and health providers across the nation. Well, good afternoon, Laura. Welcome to the show. Thank you very much, Brian. I'm looking forward to it. This is great, Laura. We go way back, obviously, working in the health health insurance, health information exchange area within the uh, Kansas City area, but now you've gone globally. Let's jump into some of the questions and share some of the things you're doing with our audience. So, Laura, you've been in healthcare, like I said, many years and have contributed to the success of many organizations, including leading the state's health information exchange. Could you tell us a little bit more about what drives you and what you do in this space? Well, thanks, Brian. Um, I think that one of the things that is really important is to recognize that the companies that I've been um, involved with and led over the years have all predominantly been not-for-profit. And so consequently, there's a strong focus not only for me, but also for our team on the mission of our organizations, which is really to improve the delivery of healthcare for the people that we're responsible for in terms of providing health information exchange, not only in Kansas, but in all the markets that we serve now across the nation. And so, you know, what we understand is that making sure that medical records are available at the point of care for the doctor, for the emergency room physician that's taking care of a patient who may not be in a position to be able to answer questions about their own medical history or their medications. I mean, the the availability of those medical records saves lives. And we know and we take that responsibility very seriously to deliver that information as in a complete and timely manner as we possibly can. And I think that that is not only what drives me, but what drives our team and the other health information exchanges across the nation is that these medical records belong to the patient and they should have them available and be able to provide them to the doctors when the doctors need them to provide the kind of care that's necessary. So that's really been at the core of the work that we've done for many, many years. And uh, I'm excited that it continues to grow and, and to gain viability as we're starting now to build out the nationwide network. It's a very, very exciting time for us. That's awesome. Like I said, Laura, ever since I've known you for for many, many years, you're always looking to move that needle, you know, move ahead, set goals and expand and improve the services that you provide. And it's exciting to see that you're going to a national level now. And that's, that's just amazing. So Laura, your company is providing some great services, including important analytical work around pop health or population health. Are you leveraging any new or emerging technology or, or using true predictive modeling? You know, Brian, it's interesting that you would ask that question. Uh, Just yesterday, we spent some time as a team discussing really what's next as we confront the COVID crisis. And we've been uh, very responsive to the state public health agencies that we work with in terms of making sure that we're providing them with real-time information about patients that have positive COVID tests or have a positive COVID diagnosis. And that's helped a lot for our states, particularly as it relates to contact tracing, because we can provide them with the information about the patient's name and address and telephone number, all things that we gather as a part of the health information exchange. But we began discussing sort of what is the 
what's the what's the next sort of hurdle we're going to have to confront as it relates to COVID? And a couple things sort of became clear to us. The first one is is that we're going to have a vaccine, and that's going to happen, you know, probably within the next year or so. But a big part of our work is going to be to track then who actually has received the vaccine and who has not. And then really the predictive analysis kind of part that you're talking about is to identify those individuals, those patients, those people in our in our communities that really are at risk for a COVID hospitalization because of either their underlying pre-existing conditions, the fact that they haven't received a vaccine, the fact that they may be vulnerable populations that can't actually manage some of the things that we often take for granted. For example, my own personal experiences with my mother and trying to get her online grocery delivery set up. She's 80 years old, isn't very competent with a computer or her phone, and it actually took several hours of concentrated effort for her to choose her groceries online so that she could get that set up. What we need to do is to make sure we've identified those people, and and I would consider that to be one of those um, sort of opportunities for us to really do predictive analysis or predictive analytics. Let's identify the people who are most at risk now so we can make sure that they have masks. We can make sure that they have in place the things that are going to be necessary to keep them safe. We can make sure that they're first in line to get the vaccines. We can make sure that they've had all of their preventive care. They are in seeing their doctors on a regular basis so that they don't end up being hospitalized. So we sort of in the crisis mode, you know, it's time for us to kind of turn our attention now to really being much more proactive and, and making sure that we've done everything that we can to help those people that we've identified as being most at risk stay safe. So we're going to develop a COVID inpatient hospitalization risk score that we'll be pushing out to the health plans, to doctors, to hospitals, so that they know who are their patients that have the highest risk of being hospitalized for COVID so we can intervene early and not, and not wait. That's amazing. I appreciate you sharing that. And I know a lot of people will really be happy to hear some of the information you just shared. So that's great. Laura, we've all had to shift during this pandemic. We talked a little bit about it already, but in what ways has this caused you to change your overall strategy to support this healthcare community? Well, you know, it was interesting in that we had been developing uh, technology products that allowed for hospitals to alert physicians and post-acute care facilities like long-term care facilities, skilled nursing facilities, uh, when a patient, when one of their patients was admitted into the hospital, either in the emergency room or they were admitted into inpatient. And so uh, that technology really was ready and we were beginning to roll it out prior to COVID, at, you know, right in December of last year, January. And one of the things that we realized almost immediately in March is that not only did they need to be alerted that their patient had been admitted into the hospital, they also needed to be alerted if their patient had a positive diagnosis of COVID. So that was one of the first things that we added to our technology was to say, okay, physician, not only has your patient been admitted into the hospital, they also had a positive diagnosis or a positive lab test for COVID. And so one of the things that's happened is that patients are being moved to many different hospitals that are outside of their home communities. We're seeing that happen as the availability of uh, ventilators, the availability of COVID specialized units are are you know, are being limited. So patients are being moved out of their home communities. So doctors don't always know when they've returned home and the hospitals don't always know, you know, the background medical information for these patients. And many of them arrive, you know, without being able to communicate 
communicate that clearly. So it's really important for doctors to know that their patients have a positive diagnosis of COVID, for the hospitals to know that, and for us to be able to add that into our alerting platform was really, you know, it was really fortuitous for everyone. The other thing I would say is we were able to provide that alerting capability to public health. So it's created a much closer relationship between the health information exchanges and the state public health agencies. I think most people don't realize the depth and the complexity and the robustness of the data that the health information exchanges are receiving. But for us then to be able to provide that same alerting platform to public health to say, okay, here are all of the patients that were admitted into the hospital uh, all across the state of Kansas and the other markets that we work in today that had a positive COVID test. That was important because right now those hospitals are having to report manually. And many of them are having to spend hours and hours report this information manually. Whereas because the health information exchanges get that data real time in the ADT feeds that we receive, we can get that over public health almost immediately. And they know how many cases of positive diagnosis they have in different parts of the state. So I would say those two things, recognizing that COVID alerting is as important as you know alerting around patients being admitted or discharged from hospitals and also recognizing that really critical relationship between health information exchanges and public health have been key changes in the last six months. Thank you for sharing, Laura. That's very helpful, especially during a global pandemic that we're experiencing today. And I think Kansas has really stepped up to the plate in its communities and what you've done to share this information across the various you know healthcare organizations in the area. So thank you. Laura, can you share something from your career experience that would be helpful for those looking to grow their career either in leadership or entrepreneurship? And again, you're a great example uh, as a woman leader, so maybe you could share something. Well, you know, Brian, an interesting question. I think the first thing that I would respond is that as a leader, you have to lead. And that means you have to be on the forefront of what's happening, not only in your communities, in your towns, in your state, but at a national level. And you have to be able to be constantly seeking new ideas, new knowledge, and be able to assimilate that into the products and services that it's going to provide. Long ago, I heard a really important leader share that it's important for a company to develop at least two new products a year. And that's really what we strive to do is to look and see what do patients need what do doctors, particularly independent physicians and other healthcare providers need to be successful and safe in the new environment? And so I constantly try to learn. I, I read magazines, I attend meetings, I listen to vendors who are developing new products, who are on the cutting edge. And I try to bring all of that together into products and services for our company so that we can actually continue to advance the mission that we have around not-for-profit leadership and building products that are accessible to people who might not often have the ability to really have access to those. So if I have to leave with anything, Brian, I would say leaders need to lead. They need to take risks and they need to be able to be on the forefront of helping their companies um, really develop the new products and services that are going to be necessary, even as our environment changes so quickly, like with COVID. Laura, that was amazing. Thank you for sharing that. And I know my audience would really appreciate that as well. So Laura, again, coming from me, it was a pleasure having you on today. And I look forward to speaking with you real soon. <laughs> Thanks, Brian. I appreciate it. I look forward to it as well. Bye for now. Bye.